Hi, everyone. This is Meredith Root, and welcome to the Afternoon Snack Podcast, brought to you by Tactic Nutrition. Hi, I'm Alex Parker, owner of Tactic Nutrition, former lawyer, CrossFit Games athlete, turned health and fitness geek. I'm also into health and nutrition, a more recent CrossFit Games athlete, co-owner of Tactic Nutrition, and former engineer. We are here to have fun, engaging conversation about some of our favorite topics, including nutrition, health, coaching, motivation, and of course, CrossFit. Our goal is to give you something to think and talk about and hopefully make you laugh along the way. Three, two, one, and we're live. Hey. Hey. What are you doing? Oh, I'm just analyzing my knee. I feel like I'm like super paranoid about pain in it because it was hurt a couple weeks ago. You know how there are like, there's some people who they're so like pathological about their, like their injuries that they can actually like with their minds create a physical injury. Really? Yeah. I think it's more like, do you think it's because they're like favoring the other leg or something? Yeah. It's possible there's some compensation, but I think like there's actual records. This probably doesn't happen as much with like people who do sports, but there's a lot of doctors out there who think that disorders like fibromyalgia, like they can't pinpoint exactly what that is and what causes it. So I know that there are some people out there who think that it's actually a psychological issue Hmm. that people can just uh, develop these chronic pain syndrome issues because they're so worried about having chronic pain. Yeah. And I don't know if you remember, but back then. I feel like I might be that person. Yeah, with your right knee specifically. Right now, but eventually I'm going to have like everything. Yeah. I I remember back when I was having my heart issues, which I have all the time now. Um, But there's been two times I remember where I became very uh, paranoid about it. And you probably remember because that was when I was in the ER and you know yeah we went to urgent care like we were in bed and she was crying i'm like let's just go to urgent care but the reason was like (laughs) it's your heartbeat is something that just happens you don't notice it but i think when you're very paranoid about having a heart issue like you start to become hyper aware of your own heartbeat which is a really odd like sensation if you and you you can't sit here and do it and i can't even do it now but when you're in that state of mind the only thing I could hear, whether I was like trying to go to sleep or sitting during the day, was uh, was my heartbeat and the like, the arrhythmia that I have. And you know that I have it because I made you listen to it. Yeah. And it was icky. It was. Yeah. Um, so that was. Uh, I know that there's like some psychological, you know, component there. And then it probably like the stress doesn't make heart issues any better, but the same thing probably exists with different, just manifests in different ways, chronic pain, you know, creating stress response, inflammation, that kind of thing, which is why we always say it's so important to manage your stress levels when you're feeling like you're having chronic inflammation, Mm -hmm. which is easier said than done. Oh yeah, of course. (laughs) definitely easier said than done it's like those moments when someone's like just calm down you're like i am calm (laughs) you're like okay well i'm not really sure (laughs) about that um you had a big day yesterday i did yeah so you um 
after a lot of like coaxing and coaching and talking you, you know, through transitions and uh, the game plan, you really knocked it out of the park with the Instagram coverage of the Great White North Triathlon. How do you feel? I feel like I really pulled through. It wasn't, I think it was on Friday night where you're like, we should get some like good content on this, like bring the camera, like do Instagram. And I was like, Meredith, no one will care about your bike run race in Stony Plain, Alberta. And sure enough, like a lot of people were tuning in and I will take some credit. I mean, part of it was my hilarious recaps of what was going on and there was a lot of downtime. So I had to like keep people engaged with what was going on with me. Yep. And if you missed it, I'm sorry, you did. You really missed out. It was funny. I thought, and I got a lot of feedback. Um, but yeah, I feel it was really fun, actually, like much more fun than I was expecting it to be. The content or watching me do the trial? The whole experience was really fun, actually. Yeah. Which normally I'm the one participating. So I thought, oh, like at one point I was like, I don't think I'm going to go. But then I did it because you do things for the person that you love. <laughs> or at least that's what my mom told me and did, my friend. Like, and my friend was like, you should probably go. Like they told you that last week or like um my mom's kind of told me that a little bit and then my my friend was like you should definitely go (laughs) you're like no but I don't think you understand it's on Sunday and I'm gonna miss two training sessions no I didn't miss any that's right you got the one in yeah I only had one that day how much did that weigh into your decision to go no no it was fine because I I managed to like finagle my schedule (laughs) <laughs> I really just didn't want to go and be a spectator. <laughs> Savage. But it was fine. It was actually fine. You weren't like annoying about anything. No. Like you weren't like ordering me around. I was, but I was offering a lot. I was like, I'll bring your shoes. I'll. There was a, the morning of when I was trying to get like my numbers on and like situated with my nutrition. I I wasn't going to be like, Hey, can you help me? But like, you were definitely, you were like parked on the bed, like reading your phone. And I was like, all right, I guess I'm just doing all this shit myself. <laughs> oh, in the, in the hotel room. Yeah. Yeah. I didn't want to get involved in that. <laughs> I, I did help you with your stickers. Yeah. Yeah. Once we got there, I was but, feeling like the morning for some reason, I was feeling a little flustered and like we weren't going to have time. We ended up having plenty of time. Mm-hmm. We got there. Um, yeah. The breakfast situation was funny. Yeah. So. I'm picky about breakfast because I can't, well, I can, but I don't, um, because it gives me like a bit, bit of a stomach ache. I don't eat dairy and I don't really eat that much gluten. So common breakfast foods contain a lot of gluten because it's just like, like bread and muffins and stuff. And then dairy, it's like yogurt and whatever, cheese, milk, <laughs> milk and eggs. I don't have, I, I don't eat eggs. Yeah. So breakfast I always have to like check to make sure there's going to be a decent breakfast otherwise I bring it yeah and Meredith can eat anything so she'll be like I'm fine and I kept being like are you good gonna be good with the whole hotel breakfast yeah yeah it's it's continental we'll be fine like it's and it's free whatever usually they have like some crappy powdered eggs which I will eat like yeah they have cereal and stuff yeah cereal like instant oatmeal usually it's totally fine for something like this But because of COVID, they basically had a bag breakfast, which we didn't foresee. (laughs) And it was like a, a, like a cupcake muffin. Like, you know, those muffins that taste like cupcakes with no icing. 
yeah well it's got they have to have their like, individual package but i'm like when was this packaged yeah well no they didn't package it they bought it pre-packaged i know i know but like when did it like in what factory when did it mm-hmm. go into the bag yeah how long has it been well in the you could have asked the same thing for every item in that bag they had sliced apples that were bagged like yeah. And I bagged ate those from a factory. And, like, they tasted like bagged apples. Yeah. <laughs> and then they had a bagged egg burrito. But the thing about the egg burrito was that it wasn't late. There's was no way to know it was an egg burrito unless you took a no, bite of it. No, you know what? It's probably because they they were like, go someone go to Costco and buy a big box of egg burritos. Do they have those there? I imagine so. They probably. have all that kind of stuff at Costco. And then they they go and buy them, and. That's what they, they take them out of the box that's labeled egg burrito. Mm. And it's like an individually wrapped egg burrito. Well, anyways, I, I didn't really want the burrito, but I was also like, I have to know what's in this burrito. So, so she takes a bite and I was like, don't eat that. Yeah. It's like, Oh God. It's like, there's powdered eggs in the burrito. Um, so that was by burrito. We mean like a dried up white tortilla was about the size of like a twinkie pretty small for a burrito (laughs) yeah that was so bad it was wrapped in the same package as a twinkie too which tells you everything you need to know about this burrito actually but we made it work i usually bring i always have like emergency supplies yeah so i brought two of those instant quaker oatmeal yeah and ate them both myself yeah and (laughs) I didn't get any no. of that. Um, but you had, you had, you ate the muffin and you yeah. had some stroop waffles. And would you say that like prepared you for your day? Yeah. It was just enough carbs to get me through. Yeah. I usually have a huge breakfast, like 900 calories. So to have to like run on 350, it's really amazing that I did anything that day. Yeah. Well, I'm impressed there's a, that's a physical feat. You probably walked around like a little bit and. You know, you had the, to have the camera in one hand and the cell phone in the mm-hmm. other. So that's physical. Yeah. Yeah. How do you feel about the day? <laughs> um, well, I will say I would have been in much bigger trouble had I not eaten the amount of carbohydrates that I did the day before. And that, I guess it's sort of by design with an early race start. That was the goal. And I did. I ate like, um, like I didn't track everything, but just back of the napkin calculations, probably somewhere in the ballpark of like... 600 grams carbs but then i dropped like i'd I'd never eat very much protein on those days so i just did one day and that was great like the morning of i had like that obviously the bite of egg muffin and then i had like stroopwafel um you know the banana nut muffin that i had and some gatorade and that was it and i felt fine i was worried just because of the lack of food volume in the morning which is not normal for me i usually eat quite a large breakfast i was worried that i was gonna um that i was gonna bonk at some point because it's also been a long time since i've um gone that duration at that time of day so the last time i I did anything for two hours was the um the half marathon i did back in may at at like a 520 per kilometer pace i was over two hours and um but that was in the afternoon so this morning like the morning start really is five that was over two hours isn't it no no okay so around two hours yeah yeah no i think yeah like 150 yeah anyway um 
And how long was your race? Start to finish, two hours and nine minutes. Yeah. So that's that's that calls for carb load. Yeah. And I was glad I did it. Um, and I remember the last time, like when we did the Banff half marathon back in 2018, we did an, like an obscene carb load the day before that and just like crushed that run. So I know that it, it works from experience and also because we work with a number of people who we instruct to do the same thing. And they always say like, Oh, I, I can't believe I felt so good. And so, um, as far as like nutrition for me during the day, I, um, I had two bottles on my bike. So I had a bottle of Gatorade and a bottle of like that scratch, um, sports hydration mix, which is like some electrolytes and basically table sugar. It's delicious. And then I had a, like a goo, like a gel, which I had salted watermelon flavor, which was actually, it's like one of the best flavors I've had in a while, which I was, I was skeptical, but I decided to take it and then a waffle. So I had, um, a stroop waffle. Yeah. A stroop waffle, which is like a little cookie. Yeah. Except like way tastier. Um, so I had both of those. I consumed both of those on the bike. Um, the gel was at like 35 minutes and then the waffle was at maybe like around the 55 minute mark closer to an hour and then basically drank the entire bottle of Gatorade and about half the bottle of scratch. So I know I had like a fair amount of carbs coming off the bike, but not like an uncomfortable amount. So yeah. Um, I don't know. I felt, I felt really good. The bike was a new thing, at least the road bike. We've been doing tons of mountain biking, but it's not quite the same because there's no descending or coasting. And so it was basically like an hour and 20 minutes of pedaling. Um, I saw a few people coasting on like downhills and I would pass them and I would be like a loser, um, you know, pedal, damn it. But then what's crazy is like, so I was just on like a rental, like a road bike that we got from a local shop and it's a nice bike. Um, it's more of like a, like kind of bordering on a gravel bike. It's not a gravel bike cause it has smooth tires, but the tires are wider and it's more of a kind of a commuter sort of all roads type bike and nice carbon, like nice to ride. And these people on triathlon bikes came by me. Like I was sitting still and like, I'm decent on a bike. It's just crazy. What a difference like that, specific type of bike can make in that race because there's no drafting well also the person who owns that bike is probably a pretty serious triathlete well also that and they're probably sorry but they're probably better than you on the bike as well so you have both things like working against you. yeah no but i mean even like and like not the to shit on triathletes here i'm not going to but like there was a couple of women who were like smaller than me and we would like this happened twice coming on a downhill and I'm going like 45 kilometers an hour and which is like, well, yeah, there's no question that those bikes are better. Yeah. And it's just like, damn it. You know, I'm going as fast as I can. Like I'm cranking on a downhill and this, this woman, like this girl just comes by me, like kind of casually pedaling in the arrow position. And well, then, the arrow position makes a big difference too. Yeah. I know that as a ski racer. Yeah. Yes. Like any sort of chest up when you're trying to go downhill makes a huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, uh, I don't know. I did pretty well for having so much wind resistance. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I did, I did pass a, like two people on those bikes, uh, which I was happy, happy about. That was the goal. And then I passed even more of them. You know, the people who finished ahead of me 
which like when we got off because it turns out they're actually not that good at running which i think triathlons are um what were we talking about last night with the swim like you can't win it on the swim but you can lose it on the swim if you're very bad i think the same thing maybe applies to the bike but the those races are won on foot i think yeah i think i i read that book called iron war yeah which is amazing it's um i don't remember the names of the two guys who are in it but basically it's it kind of gives you a little bit of the history of triathlete the end of the 1980s i think and um yeah i think it it does come down to the run in a lot of instances not only partially because it's the last implement but but it's also the hardest and it's yeah it's quite a bit like it's still gonna be like three hours or so for most of those guys yeah well it goes like you're fatiguing yourself with non-impact so Mm -hmm. like non-impact on the swim non-impact on the bike and then like a lot of impact on yeah a marathon run so i don't know enough about triathlon but yeah um but i was really happy with the 10k and i was partially really happy with the 10k because this whole week you've been like chirping me about oh, i can't wait to see you know i wasn't chirping alex let me finish this. i was just excited to see what you could do i can't wait to see kind of like you know how how you do on the run after the bike sort of implying like i can't watch i can't wait to watch you blow up no okay well that was the useful narrative that i had in my head to like motivate me okay okay i'm glad Um, i could help (laughs) i know you i think i honestly i think you did well because of my inspirational stories you did you did do you want to maybe re yeah uh, so one of them was i did a sprint triathlon like way back it must have been like 2013 and i had to rent everything i had to rent like the wetsuit i'd never really swam in open water before and then the bike, I can't remember how long it was. It was like a 500 meter swim, the 5K run, and then like probably what, 20 kilometer bike? It ended up being about 90 minutes. So it may have been a longer bike. 20? Well, then how come it took me 90 minutes and only took you two hours and 10, or two hours and There's 10 no minutes? There's no way the bike took you 90 minutes. The whole race takes like 90 I minutes. I know, that's what I'm talking about though. The swim is probably 20 minutes. Oh, right, because you didn't do the swim. Yeah. Silly me. Anyway, I ended up winning because um, I was I, I was running a lot back then, and I ended up passing this woman. I ended up making up several minutes on the run, so I told that story to you. And then the most inspirational story was I used to do these Kids of Steel triathlons back when I was a kid, and my sister would do them too, and we were in different age categories. But both her and I are extremely competitive, and um she was so competitive i don't even know i I imagine she won i'm not sure she was so competitive that she put her shoes on after the bike or no she put her shoes on after the swim for the bike and the run and was in such a rush that she had the back of her shoe like folded over in inside her shoe and she did the bike and the run with her shoe like that and just didn't have time to stop. Just couldn't waste the few seconds. I don't know. I feel like I can just like see, I can envision Garth being like, no, you can't waste any time on the train. Like, like I just, I feel like he was probably very serious about that. Was he? I think my sister and I were both into making it like, we had watched somebody do it. And then we we're like, okay, we need to get the Vaseline. 
we need to get the <laughs> laces that don't tie like the, the yeah, yeah. scrunchy laces oh we were always extra yes <laughs> but yeah anyways i told that story i'm sure that really sunk in and you're like i i'm gonna have that same competitive yeah drive yeah and i did i will say i think next time i'm gonna get one of those like you know the heel horns to get your shoes yeah. on i'm gonna bring one of those oh yeah for sure because i had <clears throat> issues with my right shoe well if not for me you would have been tying up your laces in the transition period yeah, i don't know why i was untying my shoes i just wasn't thinking <laughs> like i'm gonna have time to do that but yeah it was great the run felt super smooth i uh partially i think all like our runs lately have been in the heat here and it was really nice it wasn't hot at all and i um i came off the bike and it was a, like my leg it was like a weird transition i'm like i don't know what's going on with my legs like my hips feel kind of weird and like you just kind of feel out of sorts and i like looked at my watch i ran past you and i looked at my watch and it said 4 420 420 split which is quick it's like a lot faster than i wanted to be running and so i just assumed i was like oh it's probably a gps thing it's gonna like catch up and it's gonna adjust and so i just kind of kept going at that pace uh, or the pace that I was running and I looked down 425 looked down again 430 so I was like shoot I'm I'm going too fast but um you know I'd kind of committed at that point to like my plan which was manage intensity on the bike like go moderate and then like try to make the run become uncomfortable not like right from the gate because it's 10 10 kilometers um but actually like sustained around a 440 under like a sub 440 for like the first four kilometers and then around like a 445 for the rest of it so my average on the 10k was 442 which is like a 735 per mile pace so i was like pretty happy it wasn't comfortable at the end which is what i expected and i had to I had to chase that lady down for my finish position which mm-hmm. i definitely like didn't want to do um but when there's someone who is, uh, you know, at like 50 meters ahead, you kind of have to. And she didn't know I was coming. Yeah, except when I yelled, Meredith, run! I was gonna. like I don't know. It looked like you were mailing it in. I didn't want to do it too soon and tip her off. Okay, so um, do you think that people should carb load before training? And when is it appropriate? I think, uh, and why, like, why does carb loading work? Like, like for, for training from or a, racing? No, from, from like a physiological perspective, like why carb load? Why are carbs like, why do we tell people to eat carbs? Yeah. Well, so carbs, carbohydrates, um, we're talking about the three macronutrients. There's protein, carbohydrates, and fat. So the two that your body will predominantly use for energy are carbohydrates and fat. When you're operating at like a like low intensity, when you're just walking around, kind of doing normal like everyday things, like your body is going to be using, um, you know, stored fat, triglycerides for energy. As soon as your heart rate elevates, like you kind of shift into that um, into carb burning and using carbs. And when you look at the amount of energy required to access um, macronutrients for the purpose of generating energy carbohydrates are really easy for your body to get to and use and it's like if you want to understand kind of how important carbohydrates are from a physiological standpoint you have to consider like your body only has a couple of ways and places in which it stores fat 
um, your body has like, I think 15 to 20 different ways that it stores carbohydrates. So like physiologically, we're kind of set up to use carbohydrates. Um, so, you know, when we're exercising, I think any athlete, most athletes, um, tend to consume a higher carb diet, whether they're tracking macros or not. It's just, it's kind of the way that it goes. Um, why do carb loads work? So what is a carb load, right? Like that's that kind of the answer. Um, I think traditionally when, like when you read about carb loading, uh, the first carb loading protocol came out of the sport of running and it is, it involves a, like an exercise, a training taper as well. So it's like seven days training volume comes down and then you gradually increase your calorie and carbohydrate intake. And then at the end, um, I think that around 70 to 80% of calories for the day are coming from carbohydrates and you know, the rest from fats and protein. So that tells you like, that's an extraordinary amount of carbs. Like you're looking at seven to 800 grams per day easily for a number of days leading into a race. Um, and the, the reason why we do that and why athletes do that is so that you make sure every, every glycogen and glucose store that your body has available is completely topped up. So we're looking at, um, you know, storage in the liver. We're looking at storage in a variety of different muscle tissues. Um, you even store a little bit of glucose and like connective tissues. So you're just kind of trying to like cram as much as you can, um, wherever in your body so that when you're, um, when you're racing or when you're competing, it just, it prolongs the amount of time you go, uh, until you tap out your stored glycogen stores. And at that point, now you're relying on a combination of, you know, the, the glucose that you can consume. So Gatorade, uh, gels, that kind of thing, which are, it's good to consume those, even if you haven't tapped out your stores. Um, and you know, for very long events, you're going to move into, fatty acid oxidation because you're, you're just going to start to slowly run out of glucose. And so your body starts to pull on those fat stores. And when that happens, because there's an increased oxygen demand for fatty acid utilization, uh, your intensity is going to come down. So we see that start to happen in, uh, in longer distance, like marathon, ultra Ironman, like that's going to inevitably happen, but you're also, you know, you're not, you would never compare the pace of a marathon runner or an Ironman to a 400 meter sprint or even a, you know, a one mile sprint, Mm -hmm. which is a a time domain where you're going to be using, you know, basically 100% carbohydrates. Yeah. Yeah. So it like, how long does the duration need to be for somebody to benefit from like a, not even like a full carb load, but let's just say for somebody like you, like 500 grams of carbs, mm. 600 grams of carbs the day before, which is kind of like, you know, the best bang for your buck. Like one day, you're just going to do your best to top it up. Yeah. Plus that's typically a rest day, which helps. Yeah. So like what duration would you start looking for? And like, do you do it in training? Do you do it just for races? Like what kind of... Yeah, I think it's it's particularly useful in races. So I think... Like, honestly, any duration, probably above 60 minutes, even like even less than 60 minutes. If you're just looking to, to optimize your performance, a carb load is going to help. It doesn't necessarily need to be a seven day ordeal, 
but even in open workouts, even in, you know, single day CrossFit events, definitely in multiple day CrossFit events, doing a carb load is, is going to be really helpful. And it, you don't even need to be an elite athlete to benefit from it. So just because you're going to go out there and you're going to run, you know, a two hour, 10 minute half marathon, it doesn't mean that you should be sitting there thinking like, oh, I don't need to carb load. You know, I don't need to prepare. Um, I'm not breaking any records. Like we can still go out there and do, you know, do the best that you can. And having like proper nutrition leading into that makes a huge difference. And we see that all the time with people who we work with. Like we rarely work with endurance athletes who are going out and, you know, vying for podium spots. But we do work with a lot of endurance athletes who, you know, maybe they're not finishing in the top 10 or the top 20, but they've been training for a year and they want to do the best that they can. So it's always going to involve a carb load for our people. Yeah. Like my hypothetical, um, you know, 35 year old runner who's training for a sub two hour marathon yeah, is going to benefit greatly from not only carb load on race day, yes, but, um, increasing carbs around long training sessions, whether like maybe that's not a full 500 carb load, but you know, she would still, still benefit. And then on top of that, having the practice of carb loading. So it's not an easy feat, especially for somebody who's not a big eater. Yeah. Some people aren't practicing. That is a really good idea. So like during training, like, you know, you, if you're training for a half marathon and you have a, like a mock, even a slow half marathon distance, or you're doing, you know, 20 kilometers of intervals, like you might want to try a full carb load or at least almost a full carb load to make sure that your body feels okay. And that the carbs that you've you've picked feel good in your body like you don't want to be consuming a ton of apple juice because like for me like for some reason apple juice gives me the runs (laughs) so like knowing that ahead of time is a really good idea making sure that you're picking carbs that like your body is okay with um making sure that you can get organized enough like if you're going to a race out of the city they're carbs that are like easily available yeah um so you don't want to plan to have like you know you know fresh rice if you're going to be traveling and there's nowhere to cook up your meal, right. things like that. Or you don't want to go, want to go to a pasta restaurant and end up not having an option that isn't like soaked in oil, right. something like that. So making sure that you have foods available to you that work. Um, and then another thing about carb loading, and I experienced this myself, I'm not a big eater. And for that half marathon we did a couple of years ago, I was like, okay, I'm going to carb load. I'm going to hit 500 grams carbs. I go through the day and I didn't really feel like it. And then I was like, at the end of the day, I'm like, all right, fine. I'm just going to like load up the last like 200 grams. Would not recommend like, usually I tell people to plan out their day so that they're not eating a bunch at the end of the day, cramming it in. But there's a fear that you're going to feel really heavy because carbs are, carbs have water, but you don't. No. In fact, like you don't like that all. you'll wake up the next day and like look leaner. Yep. That typically is what happens as you, your vascularity increases mm-hmm. and then your muscle, like your muscle fullness increases because like a lot of like where the carbohydrates are going to go to be stored, uh, largely is your, your muscle. So it's going to mm-hmm. increase your muscle volume. Yeah. So like, so you basically wake up feeling like a superhero. Oh, like, and looking like one. Yeah. So for a good rule of thumb, if you ever want to try this out and like, it, it depends on your your current calorie intake and your training volume. Um, But what is a good rule of thumb, if you want to try this out is increasing your calories for the day 
by 30 to 40 percent so if you usually eat 2000 you should be eating closer to 27 28 100 the day before your race yeah um for some people i have them do two or three days of carb loading depending on what it is yeah and you kind of like you ramp it up yeah the last day is the highest day and then from a a macro breakdown 70 percent should come from carbs 15 percent protein and 15 percent fat and that allows you to increase the number of carbs you're eating while also having an easier time um consuming those carbs and also um, digesting those carbs yeah. without the fat and protein, which we all know takes a little bit longer. makes you feel a little more full. Fiber should be um, not like, don't go for super high fiber foods. Oh my God. Can you imagine? Um, because that can cause distress. Yeah. So keep your fiber in, in the normal range. Yeah. Which I usually say for both men and women sub uh, lower than 30 grams, fewer yeah. than 30 grams on the day. Um, if somebody's only used to eating 20 grams then I usually say like, just keep your fiber fiber where it's at. So pick low fiber foods. And then the last thing, um, you know, some really good options that I recommend for people are liquid calories. Cause again, the digestion is a little bit easier. So like what you had two bottles of Gatorade, I think the day before your race. Um, and with Gatorade, you get the added benefit of like, you're taking care of your electrolytes without having to, you know, put any special focus there yeah and you can just sip on it in replacement of some of your water yeah so it really doesn't add a lot of like full feeling like Mm -hmm. um but again just make sure that you don't just try this out the day before your race yeah like you've tested it to some capacity um before your race because it can it can have some some bad effects for some people depending on what what the issue is yeah i think you're back to your question on like you know for training i think is like you know the obvious question is like if it's so beneficial for racing why wouldn't you do it on a more regular basis with training and i think you answered that right because you you have to manipulate your macronutrients um to a point where if you did it every day you would start to suffer from a lack of protein and a lack of like um micronutrients Mm -hmm. because you are gonna most people have to sacrifice some food quality to make a like a yeah like people who are carb loading aren't opting for broccoli yeah they're not or like cabbage potatoes. they're not eating like leafy greens because that stuff fills yeah. you up in fact we tell people not like yeah just go vegetable free um so i think when you you're you're giving up the the benefits of green means you're going to go to the washroom <laughs> yeah green does mean go but not in the right way yeah um yeah you're so if you ate like that all the time um, you would expect to see a negative change in body composition. So you'd see some lean body mass loss because you're not getting an appropriate protein for muscle building. Um, and then obviously there's negative consequences to eating, you know, lower quality food for that amount of time. So any potential positives would over time be negated by, you know, kind of the, the large holes that are in that, that way of, of eating yeah which is why it's kind of a short-term tool and it fits into the grand scheme of you know race prep nutrition but not necessarily everyday training yeah so what i normally do with my endurance athletes and i absolutely love endurance athletes especially the ones who hit their macros consistently because it's so easy to manipulate things so they have like every saturday is a hard hard long bike ride i'm gonna have them eat and depending on the length Sometimes they just have like a standard, I'm going to eat 70 more grams of carbs on that Friday. Yeah. 
Um, and then sometimes the number of carbs will vary if, if their training is incrementally increasing week by week. Once it gets to a certain point, I'll say, okay, 50 grams more carbs today. The next week's going to be 70. The next week's going to be 90. And that all depends on how things work. So like when we get a, a an endurance athlete who comes through for one-on-one coaching, um, it's always really exciting because especially for, for one who's never, never utilized like nutritional strategies like this for um, training or endurance. And then another thing to note is that um, – a person who has a healthy body composition that works for for what they're trying to do already, their carbohydrate, uh, carb, fat, protein, macronutrient ratio is going to be skewed a little bit higher in carbs already. Yeah. So um, you're looking at like 50% more car- of carbs um, out of the total number of calories that you're eating. Yeah. So really to, to switch that up, you're not going to go... And, and they're eating a lot. So they're able to get in kind of like for a female at like 60, 65 grams of fat, which is kind of what we think the minimum is to kind of keep your hormones healthy. Um, and then they're also eating uh, the minimum amount of protein based on their muscle mass and yeah. their goals. So eating more because they're expending more energy through endurance training, it's the additional calories are going to be coming from carbs for them. Yep. So it's really not that hard to tinker around with that, to increase and decrease carbs in that way and yeah. keep the numbers the same for training. I'd really like to get a hold of some, like some moderate to higher level endurance athletes. Cause I think that if you're at that level, there are obviously we have two sitting right here. <laughs> uh, <laughs> are you my coach? Is that how this works? Am I your coach? My, my coach. We're, we support each other. Yeah. Um, anyways, I, th- I think, but see you and I, um, we, we already do a lot of good things with nutrition. Like our nutrition is fairly dialed. There are a lot of high performing endurance athletes who do not have dialed in nutrition like ever. It might be like before, you know, a couple weeks leading into a race, they start to clean things up. There's air quotes there. Mm-hmm. You know, maybe they make, they start to make an effort to increase carbohydrate intake then. Um, you know, but as far as, you know, this more daily monitoring of nutrition and paying attention to how it affects training, I don't think that that happens quite as much in the endurance sport realm as it does in CrossFit. And I'm just like, I'm honestly just, I'm curious as to what, you know, a a high level endurance athlete would feel like if they just took a little more control over their nutrition. Yeah, like dialed in the actual numbers. Uh-huh. I think a lot of endurance athletes know that they need to be eating a lot of carbs before and probably figured that they feel better with them. Yeah. But like tinkering around the, with the numbers for training and stuff like that might be helpful. Yeah. It would be interesting to know um, because I do know that some endurance athletes are pretty up to date with their training stats yeah. and that sort of thing. So I'd be curious to know what their, what their uh, approach is to nutrition. Although yesterday I was hoping you were gonna tell this okay so yesterday um (laughs) this will this is a good transition to intra workout carbohydrates so I'm just watching all these racers come in and like nothing against the people in this race but there was a, a a very big variety of levels yeah competing so you had people who just like it was clearly their first triathlon you had kind of middle of the pack 
people like Meredith who were like obviously in good shape but weren't like full blown like I'm like I think I'm beyond middle of the pack okay but I'm like leading middle of the pack you didn't have like all the equipment and that sort of thing yeah like you rental were, bike um and then you had to like super super elite guys doing the half Ironman so I'm watching there was a okay so there was a a sprint race a duathlon which mm-hmm. is a bike run bike or it's run bike run, run. Bike, run and then they had I don't I think it was run bike run that's what I just said okay yeah and and then they had a half Ironman and then your triathlon the Olympic distance that yeah. wasn't a triathlon so there's a variety of people coming in at different times and I'm just I'm bored and I'm sitting there watching people come in and I'm I wa- specifically watching people they have to get off their bikes before this line to run into the transition area the stop line you can't you can't just bike into your spot in the transition area you have to get off your bike and like run your bike in so i'm watching people get off and there are some people who are taking their shoes off before they get there and running in with bare <laughs> feet like so obviously they're pretty experienced the best guy there was one lady who was watching for people coming in she starts running beside this guy on the bike as he goes into the transition area and she's like on the outside she's like 10.5 and everyone just kind of like no one's really like cheering there wasn't a lot of people around or weren't a lot of people around and she was like I have half a gel half a gel glucose 10.5 or something and everyone's like what the and I'm like oh my god so they've got some sort of he's got a like a continuous oh, blood glucose monitor on somewhere I was like really really and like <sighs> he came in before you so he was doing the sprint or no the way. duathlon <laughs> he wasn't doing one of whatever you you were doing Did he look legit i don't know what he looked like i was only i only caught it only caught my attention when she, he was in the transition area mm. like biked through and she was yelling at him mm. but i was like okay i mean you should know that you need to have a gel anyways yeah you just have that planned out you just you kind of time it out yeah like getting down to the nitty-gritty i just i don't think it's necessary well not to mention like maybe exercise. It, it can help but in that scenario i'm like oh god you guys are so extra yeah, yeah. it made me chuckle <laughs> oh, that's interesting um, yeah i don't know that like in intra race nutrition is necessarily where continuous glucose monitors are gonna take off but maybe so with i i don't actually know a lot about those do they so she would she would have the da- the data on her phone or something yeah i mean it depends on it there's a few of them that are kind of coming out but essentially it's a little device that you wear on the back of your arm or somewhere and it's got a little filament and it measures your blood glucose so it's basically what people with diabetes would be wearing yeah it's kind of funny like a lot of there's a lot of hype around these devices and they're like oh my god it's so amazing there's this new technology (laughs) and it tells you your blood glucose so you can like you can optimize your you know your eating time and optimize your post-workout nutrition and blah 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 yeah and i'm like no 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 this device has been out for decades yeah (laughs) like they just they've they've figured out how to market a medical device to a sports population who refuses to believe that their physiology falls within a predictable range yeah so it's like there's nothing that that thing's going to tell you that we don't already know um so is 10.5 like something to panic about well i don't it would depend on the the uh units of measurement okay yeah i was like i mean she seemed quite concerned yeah 
over what he was going to do about that number. But there are so many things, like especially when you're exercising, that impact what your blood glucose is going to be because exercise drives down blood glucose. Mm -hmm. It's not going to be able to spike, even if you're kind of eating. Yep. So it's interesting that they would... uh, I wonder if they have enough data on that person to even say what, you know, what a good range is. They probably I'm, don't. I'm willing to guess no. But the, I'm sure the, the cortisol that he felt during that moment was probably <laughs> probably outweighed. Oh my god, whatever. I'm bonking. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Like, like talk about living into something, right? Yeah. Like, I don't want to see what my blood glucose levels are during a race. Like, yeah, if they are getting low, I don't want to know about that. Like, yeah. I'm just gonna be like, I'm not feeling great. I'm gonna eat something or like what if you're on the run and you don't have anything to eat? Like you just got a mind over matter, like Mr. Miyagi, that thing for like the rest of the run, because there's nothing that you can do about it at that point. Yep. Um, yeah. So, um, with what I do and then what I get most of my endurance clients to do, and this is for training and for races, the bare minimum for intra workout is, 20 grams of carbs every 40 minutes. What do you mean by bare minimum? Like you should probably be consuming more. Yeah. But that's kind of like, that's the minimum. I don't know. I don't know how it's the bare minimum of what you should be consuming. Like if you're good consuming 20 or 30 grams every 30 minutes, that's better. Yeah. I think the optimal, if you're consuming a single source of glucose. Yeah. Yeah. The, uh, the, the, um, the maximum absorption rate or, or usage rate tends to be around 60 grams per 60 minutes. Mm -hmm. But you can push that up to around 80 grams per 60 minutes. If you take different forms of carb. Yeah. So you're taking in glucose, but you maybe you're also taking in fructose, uh, maltose, um, lactose, but I don't know who's going to do that. Mm -hmm. (laughs) That'd be nasty. (laughs) But yeah, you can, there's different, um, your body uses those different, sources in different ways you can kind of bump that threshold up if you're and that's why a lot of those high-end sports supplements do have mixed they Mm -hmm. have multiple sources in there because they know that yeah so those um those gels that we were talking about taking one of those every like 30 or 40 minutes can be really helpful so if i have somebody who's carrying one of the those water packs i usually tell them to put gatorade in because like why would you drink water when you can have gatorade like a camelback you mean um, no, like the, the belts with water bo- bottles oh, or if right. you're, if you're stopping, you're doing loops or something, you should probably be drinking Gatorade because it's, it's better from yeah. a, from a performance standpoint and it's liquid. So it's going to hydrate you and it has electrolytes. Yeah. So you, if my recommendation is to have Gatorade, if you're drinking anything during your workouts and then gels or any sort of like you can eat those gummies, anything that's kind of the jelly beans jelly beans there's there's a bunch of different ones so just find something that you like like i i don't like chewing yeah so i prefer the gels because i can just squeeze it into my mouth and like slowly swallow it yeah and then from um an anecdotal uh point i notice when i take those gels they they give me a boost um, well, I don't know that that's anecdotal. There's well, kind of evidence, right? I know there, there's evidence in that, like even taking a sip of something sweet during a workout can signal to your brain that nutrients are on the way. That there's going to be carbohydrate availability. So yep. your RPE tends to decrease. Yep. And that's, I mean, who wouldn't want that? Yeah. So even just like a sip of Gatorade or a sip of something sweet 
we always like you can even do that in crossfit workouts like if you're doing intervals and you have something sweet to sip on in between your intervals especially near the end of the workout that can be really helpful as well yeah and then from like even from a crossfit perspective we sometimes suggest to people who have longer workouts up to 90 minutes with different parts having some carbs with within those workouts can be helpful as well yeah so overall like carbs for the win yeah it's interesting because i do think that in the endurance world you see a a larger portion of the population who buy into the high fat protocols not in the endurance world keto yes Hmm. in like ultra and that's like you okay ultra maybe yeah you hear about this not marathon i don't think yeah no um you hear about this this concept of like training low and that's has nothing to do with elevation that has everything to do with carbohydrates and so essentially in the off season they uh follow a high fat low carb protocol and that is i guess essentially to create some fat adapt adaption to improve your improve an athlete's ability to utilize fat for um exercise sort of energy substrate and then right before the race or like when they go in season they switch back to higher carb and so i guess the theory there is that your ability to utilize carbohydrates will be even higher than if you had just eaten high carbohydrates year round but i i disagree with that and the reason is i think that um i think that an athlete stands to lose or maybe lose is the wrong word um they don't stand to gain as much from training if you can't get as much out of training because you're not consuming adequate carbohydrates for that training or recovering from training yeah so it's it's essentially like the yo-yo diet of like performance nutrition like yeah you might you might feel great on carbohydrates but could you have been in better physical shape had you been eating carbohydrates year round i think yeah and then there's there's been those two studies kind of the repeat studies done in um race walkers which like race walking is a sport it's hilarious to watch okay but i imagine it's pretty difficult oh i know it's still like a pretty like race people can race walk a 10k faster than like i mean i don't think that the time is that far off from like my 10k run (laughs) um it might be a little slower but i'll um, look later yeah actually i'm like can you actually look that up right now while i'm telling the story um so the study is interesting and so essentially it compared and race walking was the perfect sport for the study to be done in because it it is slower it's a it's a lower heart rate um sport when compared to like you know 10k running so essentially they they put people on and this is all done with popular or uh with proper like on-ramp and washout periods but essentially they compared a, a low fat high carbohydrate group to a control group to a high fat low carbohydrate so essentially keto versus normal versus high carb and what they observed um, okay wow well what is it did you google race walking 10k yeah 10k it said 10 10k walk world record in 2020 a guy from japan did it in 37 minutes 25 seconds yeah see i told you and for women it was somebody from russia 41 minutes 56 seconds that's crazy doesn't that, that was in 1990 that's upsetting right a little bit 
But that that's just what came up on Wikipedia. I mean, that's probably right. I'm gonna have to I'm gonna have to look this the the video up. So oh I no think wait, the, what? They're both from there's there's another guy from Russia. Thirty seven, eleven, that was in two thousand. Yeah. And then the woman from Russia was forty one oh four, in nineteen ninety six. So in and around forty minutes. Yeah, so I think the rule with race walking is that you have to have one foot on the ground at the whole at all times, right? I think so. Yeah. The best was when when Joe Rogan and Matt Frazier were like were shit talking race walkers on Joe's podcast, and I'm like, I would like to see any like either one of you go out and do anything like either who who was oh Matt and yeah Joe. yeah I'm like y'all are so dumb. Um, okay, so back to that. So, um, yeah, so I was comparing essentially high carb versus keto. Um, in elite race walkers and why it was important. They're elite, they're, they're pre-trained. So there's no potential for, um, for adaptation to occur simply because you're dealing with untrained individuals, which is something that nutrition studies do a lot. They're like, Oh, well we compared plant-based to animal-based protein and we, you know, compared leg press and they don't tell you, or they do later in the paper that they used like untrained individuals. So you have to, it's like, you have to throw that data out. It's no good. Um, yeah, so what they saw was that over the course of the, I think the three-week or four-week testing period, they did uh, baseline testing, and then they did the diet protocols, and then they did they tested at the end. So what they saw was um, a decline in both training and race performance in the ketogenic group. The control group maintained, and to no surprise, the high-carbohydrate group improved. But the first time they did the study, what was really interesting is they measured like pre and post VO2 max and oxygen efficiency in all the groups. And so what you saw was that VO2 max increased in the ketogenic diet. So these athletes were actually getting better at... Um, and everyone was like, keto, yeah, I knew it. They were actually getting better at using fats. And we know that because in order to get better at using fats, you have to get better at uh supplying oxygen because it takes more oxygen so vo2 and oxygen utilization markers would would increase everybody knows that and so what was interesting <laughs> yeah um so it did leave a lot of people wondering this and it the question out of that study was is it possible then to use keto as a tool to improve vo2 max switch back to high carbohydrate and then essentially you're operating with you know the full power of carbohydrates and also a higher VO2 max, which is a good thing. Um, and so this would kind of prove the train low, uh, compete high theory. So, um, a couple of years ago, I think in 2019, they repeated the study, which is, um, not something that's usually done in nutrition. So that alone, um, was pretty remarkable. And so the, the repeat study, it validated all the observations that were observed in the initial study. And then they prolonged the, the study in additional, um, two to three weeks. So I think they, maybe they doubled the duration. And so they put the ketogenic diet, um, group back on <clears throat> like a high carb protocol. This is after a washout and observed any like performance. So in theory, if, if that theory was valid, you'd switch these race walkers back to high carb and you'd see not only them, um, match the high carbohydrate group, but surpass the high carbohydrate group in subsequent testing. So that's what a lot of people were excited to see, um, and expected to see. And that's not what they saw. So they switched the ketogenic group back to a high carbohydrate diet. And I don't even think that they, they made, 
um, or they match the race and training performance goals set by the control group. So actually they weren't even able to return to baseline performance um, after after the, the ketogenic period, which suggests that a, a high fat protocol of any duration is going to have a deleterious effect on um, performance, even when carbohydrates are reintroduced in significant amounts. So um, are you awake over there? Ivy? No, you. <laughs> I'm putting you to sleep here. No, I, I, I've heard. I'm well, I'm very well versed in that study. Yeah, definitely. Um, I am. You told me all about it. Yeah, because it's pretty, it's a remarkable study. Not only I mean, it's everything that I've always known. Yeah, it is nice to see what you are, what you know, be validated by scientific evidence. Yeah, but it's, it's frustrating because like still people will be like, yeah, but Zach Bitters. Yeah. And it's like, but, but no one knows what the guy's actually doing. Yeah, exactly. And like if you, you don't can know say, Zach Bitters is You can the, say what you're, you're doing all day long, but... I mean, it's no different than Tia eating 2,100 calories per day. Yeah, what you say you do and what you actually do aren't always the same. And um, yeah, that was an unpopular opinion. I mean, I actually think that it was a popular opinion, but... It um, was unpopular among her crowd. Yeah, the vocal minority did the vocal minority thing, and they got their panties in a big old wad. Um, but yeah, if you don't know, Zach Bitters is the, I think, the reigning world champion ultramarathoner, and is kind of, he's well known for being a ketogenic off-season eater but he might just be so good that it doesn't matter it's possible like yeah. and like really in the ultra distance like it comes down to to mental tenacity physical ability and like are you just straight up like are you eating enough calories yeah. period so that's one of those things like i don't really think it matters quite as much like there's no PED on the planet that is going to get you through an ultra if you don't have it between the years mm-hmm. kind of thing still gonna suck yeah that was a pretty informative podcast i thought so i had to like i had to tap into some things i hadn't thought about in a while yeah i feel like we were kind of drifting away from the nutrition aspect and i'm glad we kind of brought it back yeah but i think i think to kind of are we ready to sign off yeah this is your you you tell me okay i just i i just want to say like you know a lot of people think that these like nutrition strategies for performance are reserved for high level athletes and they certainly are not if anything like an average athlete who's eating pretty healthy who incorporates some of this can benefit just as much if not more from from eating a few extra carbs a day before their race yeah yeah kind of what what you know weekend warrior types you know average athletes they don't have the advantage that elite athletes they don't necessarily have the like the genetics they don't have years and years of training under their belt mm-hmm. so you have to kind of take advantage of every tool that you do have at your disposal to get the most out of your training and the most out of your performance and one of the easiest tools that and most underutilized in my opinion is nutrition yeah and recovery so and it's easy and it's available yeah like a box of cereal is like five bucks I bought today two boxes of cereal. I yeah. got Meredith buys cereal and she did, she eats like one bowl. And then two weeks later, the cereal is gone. And I, I've eaten it all, but without actually having a bowl of it. You just pick <laughs> or like, like the odd, like maybe like two weeks after I buy it, I'm like, oh, you know what? I want some cinnamon toast crunch. 
And then I go to have a bowl of cinnamon toast crunch and it's like all gone. I'm like, okay, super. <laughs> so uh, that's, but I bought caramel toast crunch today, which is delicious. I had a little, I had a bowl. I had a like, not a bowl. I had like a cup when I got home. It's really good. Um, yeah. So if you are um, endeavoring on a endurance journey or um doing an event or something or you just want to try out some different nutrition strategies for what you got going on in your life we can help you with that yeah um, we always do um comp- competition plans for our athletes whether they're crossfit athletes or endurance athletes and we can um, make res- recommendations pretty much down to the gram based on your schedule and yeah what you're currently eating and stuff like that it can be really helpful for people it just takes the thinking out of it yes as long as you're the type who will listen to what we say welcome come <laughs> on in even if you don't listen i still try really hard yeah but but it, it helps when people actually do what we tell them that's true it is frustrating when you like write up a plan or like you're trying to help someone and they're like they're not even tracking their macros it's like okay but fine it's a learning experience for everybody i guess i think so including us yeah sometimes it's a it's a lesson in patience yeah but that's a it's always a good lesson always a good lesson <laughs> you're smiling <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's because you know um awesome thank you for listening uh we hope you enjoyed this one and uh we'll be back on again soon